Hello and welcome to A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins in partnership with Briefcase.News, the service that brings intelligent curation and analysis to your media monitoring. The Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, says Britain faces eye-watering decisions on borrowing and expenditure and nothing is off the table. One project firmly under the microscope, according to Michael Gove, the new levelling up minister, is the massive project called HS2, which is to build a high-speed railway line between London and Manchester by 2040. Announced in 2012, this has proved highly contentious, with costs rising from £56 billion at the start to more than £100 billion or £125 million per mile of track versus average European costs of around £20 million. Construction only started in 2020 with about £15 billion spent to date. Infrastructure spending is often the first casualty of any government spending squeeze. It's easier to cut than current spending. Gordon Brown's government squeezed it after the 2008 financial crisis and George Osborne then cut it even further with consequences for growth we're still living with. And go back further to the 1970s and you find a host of scrapped infrastructure projects from the third London airport, Channel Tunnel and urban transport schemes such as the Manchester Underground. Britain has a terrible stop-start record of infrastructure investment. So we thought we'd look at the debate about the HS2 project and how it fits into the wider story of Britain and infrastructure spending. What's the argument for cutting it? What should we be doing instead? And are there really shovel-ready projects that would make more sense to which we might direct the 30,000-odd workers and supply chain businesses that are working on HS2? And lastly, we'll ask why it is that infrastructure such as HS2 costs so much more in Britain than elsewhere. So we're delighted to be joined by Tony Barclay, an engineer, railway expert, and author of a pessimistic 2019 report on HS2, and also Tom Forth, a software engineer, or digital entrepreneur, I should say, and industrial strategy expert based in Leeds. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Let's really start with HS2, I think. And and I suppose we should just lay our cards on the table. Is there any real case for it? And if not, why is it the wrong project? Maybe I can start with you, Tony. The basic problem with HS2 is that it's the wrong project. This is assuming we're not worried about money, we're not worried about government being able to fund it, but it is actually the wrong project for dealing with the massive problems we have with railways in this country generally and the fact that people want to move around in a more low carbon means. My view has been for a long time that we should be improving the railways in the north and the Midlands, particularly east-west, so people can move around there. And in simple terms, we could create a network of lines in those areas which are as good as a commuter service around London. So, okay, so commuter projects would be better. It's the wrong scheme altogether. Tom, what's what's your view? So here in Leeds, we've already had HS2 cancelled, of course. So (laughs) HS2 will, will no longer come from Birmingham (laughs) up via Nottingham and then Sheffield to Leeds. Amusingly, that was by far the highest value part of the line because the the current train from Leeds to Birmingham is extremely slow. There is no electricity on the railway 
and the, the tracks are congested because it has to fight for space with people in Sheffield, Leicester and Nottingham trying to go to London and people in Birmingham trying to go to London. The, the problem that I have is, whilst I completely agree that it's a pretty average at best and probably poor value scheme overall, I have absolutely no hope in the UK political system building anything else. Leeds has tried to build some form of mass transit system for 40 years. It has failed to do so. It, it is today the largest city in the whole of Western Europe without a mass transit system. There is no tram, no metro, and not much electric trains around Leeds to get people where they need to go. And I see absolutely no hope of any money saved by further cancelling HS2 being spent on anything better for us here. So it's, in my view, the engineering and the business case for HS2 isn't particularly impressive. The reason why I probably do support it is because if infrastructure doesn't go to London, it will not be funded in this country. The UK government is in London. The UK's experts are in London. The UK's media and lobbying groups are in London. And unless they get a big slice of the pie, they will just cut the money. So I think that it's HS2 or bust to uh, quote a, a recent phrase. That we, <laughs> we, if we cancel HS2, uh, would, would I love to have six wonderful tram lines connecting West Yorkshire, making Leeds, Bradford and Wakefield a super city that could compete with its rivals in Europe? I'd love that. I, I would estimate the chances of that happening at precisely zero. It just won't happen. How much do you think that would cost compared to the cost of HS2? Oh, it's trivial. It's a trivial number. Oh, go two, on. Two billion pounds would get you a pretty good tram system in Leeds. It would have at least two to three times the return on investment of HS2. Interestingly, it would have at least double the return on investment of something like Thameslink, which we spent a huge amount of money in London on. So for me, HS2 gets the politics right. It gives enough to London that they might fund it and then delivers something at least, since the alternative is zero, to places in the North and the Midlands. Tom, you're absolutely right. And it's a very depressing what you say, because many people are now saying that the, the answer is for Liverpool, Manchester, Leeds, um, also to Sheffield and York, should have their own higher speed direct line as a, as a first start, and which would need the funding from HS2, mm. but that's where everybody wants. And then you add on all the different lines, including your tram lines, on top of that. And I think it would probably cost less than HS2 is forecast to cost at the moment. It's worth saying that not only do we know it would cost a lot less, but Transport for the North worked up all of those plans. They called it Northern Powerhouse Rail. And that was cancelled. It doesn't seem to be one or the other. It seems to be HS2 or nothing. So Tom mentions this whole question of economic modelling and how these projects are scored. I mean, Tony, you actually have authored a report of that nature. Can you just explain to us how you go about assessing the economic case? On HS2, the, looking at the cost benefits, you've got two figures. One is the cost of the project and the other is the benefits. But, of course, the people who do this for HS2 look at very high benefits because they believe that they can put up the rail fares to go to London because it's, it's a very important route. And then they also add on the development potential of building lots of office blocks around the stations and things like that. 
A similar comments were made about Birmingham, but when it gets further north, of course, the, the benefits are seen to be less because the train fares are lower. And the train fares are lower in the regions because people can't afford them because they get paid less. It's, it's a vicious circle. Of course, everybody wants better lines around London because they can afford the higher train fares. But actually, the first thing that should happen is that there should be a complete rebalancing of the railway structure between the regions and London. And I believe London per head of population, London and the South East per head of population gets three times the amount of income per year from the government as do the regions, three times. And I must say I'm, I'm fascinated to hear that and slightly puzzled because I would have thought that, you know, there are an awful lot of people living in what we might vaguely call the North, all of whom have votes. And I would have thought that there was a great attraction for politicians to say, we're going to, I think the expression I'm looking for is level Level up. up. (laughs) Uh, And um, we're going to do it by transport infrastructure spending. I would have thought that was quite an attractive offer rather than get bogged down in trying to do something slightly better at enormous expense in London. There are a lot of votes in the north. If, if you're talking about people who use a train, it's people in cities. The problem for the political power of the north is that all of the north cities vote without fail for Labour. Now, I'm not fussed either way that they vote, but when you're not a swing seat, you don't have much power within UK politics. So, you know, there's no point the Conservatives being very nice to Manchester Central or Leeds Central or a central seat in Liverpool because there's no chance ever in my lifetime, I don't believe, the Conservatives will ever win that seat. They could give everyone £100,000. I don't think they'd win the seat. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly don't want to waste it on them, do you, in that case? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that the power is, is in the swing seats, and the swing seats are in towns, and what do people do in these towns and sem- suburban and rural areas? They drive. I remember speaking to Andrew Adonis, who was then Secretary of State for Transport at the start of this project, and said, Andrew, why don't you start the lines in the north where it's really necessary, and if it has to come to London, do that last? And he said, and this confirms what Thomas said, that the cost-benefit of doing it in the north wasn't so good as starting in London. So there we are. That says it all. He's an Uh, Could I come back a bit? Tony, you have just written to the Prime Minister, uh, whoever he is this week, saying that... There's too much cynicism on this show. uh, Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) You have just written to our new Prime Minister, who is um, looking for economies, explaining why it's not too late now to scrap HS2 and to you've highlighted the amount of money that can be saved. Could you just tell us what you put in the letter? I had, a, I had a quick meeting with him when he was still Chancellor some time ago, and he was obviously concerned about the cost of HS2, which seems to have got gone up, gone up and up and up in, in people's estimate over the last few months. And given the fact that government is now talking about having to save many billions of money to balance the books, my suggestion was that it should actually be scrubbed completely and the money partly spent on other lines and partly used for other things because we haven't actually got to the end of the 
cost increases, yes. I mean, we don't have a, a station at Euston that's actually designed yet. First of all, the project is hemorrhaging money at the rate of 200 million a week. That's quite a lot of money, 200 million a week. Um, <laughs> 200 million a week. Tom, what do you what do you what God. do you think? I mean, obviously you're skeptical that anyone will actually do it. Tony's proposal bring down the hammer on HS2 east more east-west rail. If that were politically feasible, is that how you would choose to redeploy the money or would you find other other ways of spending it? If that were politically feasible, that's absolutely the right thing to do. And we know that it's absolutely the right thing to do because that's what all of the countries that have better infrastructure and are pro- more prosperous than us do. What they ten- generally tend to do is they focus on transport within their cities and within their city regions. So when high-speed rail was built in France, it arrived in cities which had already built metros and tram lines because they had been allowed to raise taxes locally and build that infrastructure. If we allow the cities uh, in England to invest the similar amount of money to what we are spending on HS2 on their priorities, I can promise you right now that not a single one of them would build HS2. We spent in West Yorkshire, we spent eight years begging the government to let us have a devolution deal. We begged. Finally, after seven or eight years, we got a devolution deal. In that devolution deal, there was a power for the West Yorkshire Combined Authority to raise an infrastructure levy. It would be like how Crossrail was funded partly in London. A few months after we signed the deal, the UK government turned around and said, we've changed our minds. So the idea that even though we are not allowed to raise our own money here, that we would be given £20 billion to spend on something that we wanted locally, as far as I'm concerned, it, it, it's pie in the sky. It's not going to happen. But Tony, we've, we're coming back to the same question about value for money and how you score these projects. You yourself say that they are structurally unfair towards places outside the southeast, basically because... The assumption is that the value, the economic value, the fares, for example, you can levy on lines are, are higher in the southeast. Doesn't this need reform to make it uh, a more equitable system? Because we can't just carry on building everything in the southeast and not doing anything anywhere else because the model says yes only to those sort of projects. Yes, but I mean, Tom is absolutely right. But it comes back to the Green Book, which is a treasury bible of how you do these things they've recently revised it if we if the politicians really wanted this to happen and the government wanted to happen they would instruct ministers and the treasury to look at it again and come up with ways of getting a better value for money you can't magic everything but on the other hand given the fact that hs2's benefit to cost is 0.5 to 1 on my and the, and the Treasury would like you to have over two. But your 0.5 to 1 is you have to spend a pound of of money on your line gets you 0.5 pounds of economic benefit. So you're effectively immediately losing your half your invested capital, is what you're saying? Yes. The only solution to the problem in the north that Tom's outlined, well, let's double the train fares and let's assume there'll be three times more passengers than will actually likely to happen. I mean, it's because of the economy is in a bad way. People can't afford to go by train half the time, so they're using their cars, which is, again, damn stupid. But it, it, it does need a leadership from the north 
the northern politicians being allowed to do it by central government and start all again from scratch and accept that it's not going to happen all in one day. Tom, I know there would be absolutely no possibility of being given £20 billion per city for the for your five cities. How much do you think, as a bus tracker, it would cost to produce a local bus system in those cities comparable to the one that we have in London? Fixing the buses is probably the, the thing where we have made most progress in the last five years. So it's a, it's a welcome opportunity for, for us to all be very positive. In, in 2017, there was a the Bus Services Act. It allows the regulation of buses again. So it allows the cities outside of London to have buses of a similar style to what exists in London. That is one fare, one smart card, an integrated ticketing system. That, that was illegal outside of London until 2018. It is now legal and that was passed by Theresa May's government. And that opens the possibility for cities and Greater Manchester is, is moving at full speed ahead to make that happen. And in 2024, Greater Manchester will roll out its, its franchise bus system. That's going to cost on the order of low hundreds of millions per year, probably to run, to start off with, because they'll require investment in things like bus lanes. But over time, I wouldn't actually expect that to cost much more to run than the current bus system. So you're looking at really quite small sums of money. You actually can see in places, medium sized cities, this works pretty well. You'll have people screaming at the podcast if they live in somewhere like York or Reading or Brighton, when I call their places small cities. But these are quite small cities and and they can have quite good public transport systems with buses. The problem happens when you have what is a proper big city, such as Greater Manchester or West Yorkshire. It really doesn't matter how good your bus lanes are. If you want to get the 11 miles from the west of Bradford to the east of Leeds, it's not going to work on a bus. And that's why you want something like a tram system or a metro system. One of the things which you know we've touched on several times when we've talked about the economic case for investments and so forth is, is this disparity, for example, in railway investments and in how much it costs to build in the UK versus how much it costs to build elsewhere in Europe. And it really is a, a multiple, which of course makes it incredibly difficult to stand these projects up and get them greenlit because they have the you know, requisite positive additive value. Why is it that it is so expensive? Is it because we are not efficient in doing these things and therefore we are kind of making it more difficult? I think there are two main differences. And one is the process and the cost of getting permission to do anything. In railways in the UK, it's a hybrid bill through Parliament, which is a massive cost. And when we're talking about hundreds of millions of pounds, a large extent on lawyers and consultants' fees, because that's the way it's always been done. Whereas if you want to build a, a new motorway in the UK, you do it in a different way, which is a hell of a lot cheaper and quicker, even though the government is effectively doing both of them. It is a question of who takes the risk on the capital cost, and what risks the contractors are being prepared to take. And um, you may have read comments in the press about some of the contractors on HS2 are getting very worried about their exposure because, in theory, they have a design and construct contract 
for something which hasn't been designed properly. <laughs> it depends what type of contract you end up with. My gut feeling is that we should go for something much smaller in the t- when you're building railways, and it ties in with it being very unwise to not only to make such a very big project as one as one project, which the French never do. They build a bit of TGV line and they leave it in and they build a bit more. And also the fact that we're building something which is going to be a world beater in terms of speed, but that also means, you know, very level, straight tracks, good catenaries and and all the other things which need developing. They haven't even started on the signalling yet, which I think was the thing that bankrupted Eurotunnel. Uh, Well, yes, as you know, I... I worked for Eurotunnel for 15 years and it, it didn't quite bankrupt Eurotunnel, but it certainly, the cost overruns on the signalling and telecommunications were the highest, whereas the civil engineering was not far off um, on budget. Just on, on this question of why does everything cost so much in the UK, but there are actually quite a lot of infrastructure projects that are delivered not just on time, but early and under budget. So. Greater Manchester has delivered most of its recent tram extensions ahead of schedule and below budget. One of the keys to the success of that, if you ask the people who did it, was that they didn't have to talk to anybody in London. They just got on and did it. They didn't talk to the UK (laughs) government. In order to try and gain approval from, from these quite sparsely populated parts of the southeast of England, we have spent a huge amount of money that we really didn't need to spend. So... I think we've we've done some politically not very clever things and that has ended up with us having a very, very expensive railway. But still, I come back to it, there is no visible alternative to this. We can do nothing and we stay poor. We can build HS2 and it costs too much. Or we can cancel HS2 and we'll build nothing. There is no way in which we build something else in my view. My proposal would be to say, look, look at the vast amount of money we can save by putting HS2 into administration, and we will guarantee to spend, let's say, half of that saved money on doing what Tom is suggesting and splitting it between the the five major cities that require better transport links and allowing them to decide how they play it. And it seems to me that that would be a way to square the circle because it would mean that you'd have a very substantial cut in the cost to the exchequer and you'd end up with something which is actually worth having. I'm 100% behind you. In fact, I suggested (laughs) a few months ago. You're absolutely right. And I sadly am aware that the British Constitution does not allow Parliament to bind its successors. The next Parliament will cancel it. We're talking about Northern Powerhouse Rail. This was announced, it was promised, it was re-promised, it was promised again by Boris Johnson. It was cancelled. Promised by Boris Johnson. That's a... <laughs> That's a, the words that resonate down the ages. <laughs> that was A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins. Editing and production is by Nick Hilton and our sponsorship partner is briefcase.news. Join us again next week. Thank you.